I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome, everybody. This is the Theology Program Podcast. I am Michael Patton, and we are back again. Uh, It's been a little while since I've uh, done one of these podcasts. Sorry for all of you who have been waiting for this, but uh, hopefully we'll be back on schedule here pretty soon and doing this on a more consistent basis. But welcome to the broadcast. Uh, Good to see that you guys are keeping up with us. Uh, we've got a few things today that we're going to talk about, but first I want to introduce someone to you. Uh, his name is Tim, and Tim is a new member of the Reclaiming the Mind staff. Some of you guys may have anticipated Tim's, Tim's coming. We have talked about it a little bit. I've actually, and I've told you this, Tim, I've always, uh, you know, since we started the ministry, mm. I thought, you know, if we ever have anybody that comes in and fulfills this particular position, I would mm. want Tim to be the person. Mm. I've known Tim. Tim went to Dallas Theological Seminary, graduated with a THM, and uh, we knew each other back at Stonebriar Community Church. Mm-hmm. You were part of the uh, singles ministry for just a short time mm-hmm. at the very beginning, back in the early 2000s. So it's good to have you, Tim. Um, you are here from Oregon, and you were yep. a pastor in Oregon for a while. That's right. Yeah, well, it's good to have you, and we're going to draw upon some of your expertise. You were um, a, a THM in pastoral ministries and church history, right? Partially correct, yes. I was THM in Christian education and historical theology. I was very close there. Very close. But you yeah. are what is known as a Binghamite, is that right? Yeah, yeah. If there was a Facebook fan page, I would definitely join it. Well, why don't you make one? That is one thing we need to do. That's true. Because I would join it, too. Okay, what yeah. Is, what is a Binghamite? A Binghamite is someone who I think went to Dallas Seminary, probably didn't even know Jeffrey Bingham, and after taking some of the classes, realized that they would listen to any word that he would say. Uh, just a man who has a great view, I believe, of of the Lord and of how truly the roots of the church and all that has gone before us really do drive uh, and give us a lot of roots in times when the winds blow all over the place of of different views of the church and different ways to do church and different ways of thinking about uh, uh, just our lives and and he uh, I think that he just really had a, uh, and still does have a, a real profound effect on people who take him as cl- for his classes. Well, you know, I came in at the very end whenever uh, Bingham had just come to the seminary or mm-hmm. was. I don't know if he, he wasn't full time whenever I was there, but mm-hmm. I believe he's full time. He's even head of the theology department now, right? Is yeah, that correct? That's correct. And, you know, I, I'm really glad that Dallas Seminary is uh, taking a focus and putting a historical theologian in such a position because mm-hmm. I don't think Dallas Seminary has had much of a tradition with regards to historical theology. Yeah. Um, but I would be, you know, more of a Hannahite. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I love Hannah too. And what I love about Bingham though as well is he's really bringing in a, a philosophy 
perspective. Uh, not so much. He's definitely well versed in philosophy. His his uh, passions are are the early church and the church fathers. But uh, he's bringing in some people who are real specialists in the fields of philosophy as well. And so I think that'll be a great addition to the seminary. Oh, that's great. You were yeah. familiar with Rome. You and Rome were friends and uh, still are friends. Yeah, we were actually. I think rugby was our connection. I played rugby in college, and he was a big rugby fan. And oh, so yeah. we had some mutual friends who are rugby fans. And so, uh, so we would definitely get together during the some of the rugby matches and watch them on TV together, and then just really start connecting. So you weren't a hockey guy like him, huh? No. Well, so I grew up in Central Iowa, and uh, it was kind of funny because he would play hockey, and for me, the way that we played hockey when I was growing up in high school was that during the winter time, it would get so cold that all of the the small ponds in the area would freeze over, and my buddies and I, we would all wrap our shins in newspapers and magazines and and play hockey with each other, and so um, so Rome was definitely the professional, but we did talk about hockey once in a while. Yeah, Rome has kind of got his um, his uh, feet wet with just about anything, yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully sometime we'll be able to get Rome back here and Greg back here and uh, do a few of the programs and host mm-hmm. some of them. But I did tell you just a little bit ago, we talked to Sam Storms. Some of you are familiar with Sam Storms. And he is going to, um, in May now, that's kind of a new calendar timetable for him. But in May, he's going to come in and begin to host uh, the Theology or theology Unplugged with us as well. And I, I hope that I can take advantage of having you as a part of what we're doing here as much as, as you can also. But mm-hmm. you'll be heading up lots of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the main things we brought you in for is because much of our ministry is devoted to the web mm-hmm. and to web ministry and extending ourselves and extending, making theology accessible to those people who are out there and just taking as much advantage of the technology as we can. Mm-hmm. And you're just up on that stuff mm-hmm. and you're good at that stuff. And mm-hmm. you headed up uh, some of the stuff at Dallas Theological Seminary and their website and development. Mm-hmm. And so... We're going to have Tim be working on that, but also he brings with him uh, a lot of uh, uh, teaching ability and passion mm-hmm. for ministry and passion mm-hmm. for discipleship. And mm-hmm. We just did yesterday, me and Tim were starting to brainstorm, as we've talked about before, that we're going to be doing soon here at, uh, or, or we're going to be packaging soon, mm-hmm. is the uh, theology program for teens, for children, kind of a preparation also, separate one for college, going into mm-hmm. college. Mm-hmm. And so Tim is going to be a vital part of all that and vital part of uh, of us uh, being able to produce that and make mm-hmm. everything a little bit more professional. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're doing well in a lot of stuff, but it does need that professional touch, and Tim's going to bring that. So we're we're really excited to have you, Tim. Mm-hmm. Wanted to introduce you to some of the audience. This is this is the uh, Theology Unplugged audience. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll get you introduced to a lot more of the audience pretty soon. Mm. Yeah, I look forward to that. And I'm very thankful to be part of Reclaiming the Mind and to be part of Theology Unplugged. And, and I'm excited for, I believe, what the Lord's going to do over the, the course of, of the next year and, and forward from there. And so, so I think this is going to be... It's just I'm excited for the next year and just excited what's going to come down the road and just the opportunity that we're going to have uh, to to both teach and to come alongside the audience, just come alongside people and uh, just say, follow us as we follow the Lord and, and let's talk about him. Oh, very good. Tim Kimberly, you can find him probably on Facebook. You may be able to befriend mm-hmm. him on Facebook. That's kind of a new way to be able to, yeah, yeah. to say, hey, will you be my friend type thing? Yeah, I'm an avid Facebooker and Twitter or whatever, tweeter or whatever the the term is for that. Yeah, so, I, I noticed so. that the other day whenever I was on your website, the tweet updates. Yeah, so, yeah. That was good. 
Well, listen, um, Tim, you don't know what we're going to be talking about here today. I have no clue. You don't. Well, that's good. We're already seven minutes into the broadcast, so we're going to be talking about it this yeah. broadcast and probably a little bit more the next broadcast. But that's kind of one of the staple things that we do here. Most people don't know what we're going to talk about, so I just get in here and open up the subject and... We'll see where it goes. It really brings to life the be prepared in season and out of season. Huh? It does. I mean, it's not an unprepared. It's it's my confidence in you that mm. I can just open this up and mm. we can talk about it. Mm. That's great. But unplugged. That's what we are. Theology unplugged and we have fun with this. Okay. We've already talked about it a little bit yesterday. Okay. I opened the door for it. You and I have discussed it a little bit. Okay. For two days, I've been going through it, and this is uh, some issues with women in ministry. All right. Now, I wrote a blog, Tim, and uh, it's been a very interesting mm. discussion. I didn't really expect mm. for me to get uh, revitalized with regards to this particular topic. Mm. I mean, I, I, I go through, and the way I do my studies is kind of... You know, I'll have this plan to work on this project, and then I'll study this according to the project. But a lot of times with regards to the blog and a lot of times with some of the things that uh, maybe I'll uh, have a, a whim to do something else, it'll just, you know, come and go. What new book is published? What what new issue is out there? Sure. I usually gravitate towards certain areas, mm. and my gravitation is always towards areas in prolegomena and church and what's going on in church movements and mm and bibliology, those types of things. Mm. But I do I do uh, have an interest in this area when we talk about uh, women in ministry. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a blog the other day, and the blog was essentially uh, an argument for, oh, no, 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 better. <laughs> this is much better. <laughs> an explanation of if you are a complementarian, and I'll tell what that is in just a moment, if you are a complementarian, how you answer the question of why didn't Paul want women to teach? Okay, so this is it was really just meant for complementarians. The the thinking of it, would you say? Yeah, in a way, it was. Okay, I'm adjusting the microphone a little bit. Ooh, that sounds a lot better. It wasn't that your wife just came in and hit you in the head with a baseball bat. No, was no, it wasn't. <laughs> it, it wasn't. But there was there was something that drove this in a way. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was uh uh. The other night, and this happens all the time, you've probably had something similar happen to this to you as well, but in the other night, in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. we heard something, Mm -hmm. and it woke Christy up. Actually, we didn't hear something. She heard something. It woke her up, Mm -hmm. and she jumped up and looked out of our room, and she saw underneath the door that the lights were coming on, Mm -hmm. and this was at 3 o'clock in the morning, and so she got a little bit worried about that, and what did she do? She... Woke me up. <laughs> and she said, Michael, somebody's in there. Go see what it is. So I jump up, you know, and go straight in there. Okay, so give us a little bit more detail. What are you doing when you get up? Are you getting a baseball bat? Are you, do you have a gun under your pillow? No, no, no. Not because I don't, I don't believe in those things. I'm, a, I'm an avid Republican. Everybody should own a gun, but I'm too scared to have one in the house. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just scared that some of the kids will get it or something like that, you yeah. know? But, I just jump up. We've had, we've had it happen enough to where I'm pretty sure it's one of the kids. You okay. Know? And so. But I, you're still willing to use your hands and if necessary, right? Oh yeah, I'll take them out. Okay. You know? I mean, I've got all kinds of visions of the way I can leg sweep them <laughs> and you know, do all kinds of heroic things. Okay. So I am ready to be the hero, but I'm not expecting to be. Nevertheless, <laughs> there is this element of danger that I need to take, you know, the, the stand in yeah. because I'm the man of the house. 
Well, I, I just kind of use that as an illustration. It wasn't meant to be, you know, this is, this is the uh, perfect illustration mm. that everybody will be convinced now that complementarian is correct. I'm just yeah. giving an illustration of something. Yeah. Um, now, back up for a moment. Here, here's what I want to propose and see what you think of it. Okay. I, I, I propose a little bit different definition of complementarianism than some people might. Okay. I don't believe the linchpin of complementarianism has to do with women in ministry. Okay. In other words, I can theoretically say this. You can be a complementarian and not believe in women or believe that women can be head pastors. Okay. okay? Because my view of complementarianism is this is that you have a fundamental belief about the nature and the creation of men and women that they are different by design mm -hmm. and that there are specific functions that men can do better than women and women can do better than men. And therefore, we need to, as a society, as individuals, as the church, attempt to capitalize on the way that God has created us in order to make both sexes function in a more... Um, uh, uh, in a more uh, efficient, mm. <laughs> for lack of a better word here, positive way that uh, God would have us to go. Mm. Okay, mm. so that that counts for all kinds of things, yeah. not just women in ministry, but uh, for everything in life. You know, just the understanding that there are fundamental differences, and there are certain things that women are going to be able to do better than men. Yeah, and I would totally agree with that. I mean, that you need to think outside of of just who is the senior pastor or the lead pastor because God did not make the male race or, or nor did he make the female race just to lead churches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he made them for many more reasons than just church leadership, even though church leadership is very important. Well, it is. And it's, and it's leadership that has to do with certain things. I mean, women can be leaders in lots of other things. Mm -hmm. And, and my point, whenever I started to write this blog, I was trying to write to complementarians. I was trying to say to complementarians, one of our Paul says in Second Timothy or in First Timothy chapter two, that I do not allow allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. man. Mm -hmm. um, that, in my view, in my estimation, I don't think that complementarians should think that Paul is saying women aren't as smart as men, mm -hmm. or that uh, women can't teach as well as men. Mm -hmm. Or that women can't rationalize truth as well as men. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that is the direction that some might go to. Yeah. Okay, now in our circles, whenever we're talking about the scholars, evangelical scholars, complementarians, I don't think I know of any of them that go in that direction. Yeah. But I think you might get out there and the average person, even some pastors, might think in this way. Yeah. Well, maybe women just aren't as smart as men. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and you can certainly see a history of that to some degree within societies. Yeah. Well, and when the rubber hits the road, yeah, when you've just told someone, "Sorry, you cannot, you cannot be a, a lead pastor, or, or you cannot serve in that context," I'm sure the first natural reaction is, "There's something wrong with me. That is why I cannot do that." Where, and that's definitely not what complementarianism is saying it all because it because You're a right. female is, is made in the image of God and when someone is made in the image of God they're definitely not missing anything. Well you're right and one of the things that we, we would we would um, look at and, and the, the woman would come in there and say well why can't I teach? Yeah. Why can't I? What is the what is the reason for this? And we might say well because the Bible says it. Yeah. 
You know, and that's the most common answer that we would give. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a wrong answer as long as you're rightly interpreting the scripture. If mm-hmm. the Bible says it, we don't always have to give a why. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not tied to that. I want to, and I think there's reasons why God gives his commands, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times he wants us to know those reasons. Yeah. But in this case, you know, it's sometimes you're just like, well, why? Yeah. And then and then, you know, in the passage, if we look at the passage, it says, well, because Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Mm-hmm. And so it, it takes it back and it says women or, or Eve, at least in this case, was deceived and Adam was not. Therefore, mm-hmm. women cannot teach men, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to interpret that really to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what he's saying. And I don't think anybody, anybody that I've read, any commentaries that I've read really has a this is the answer. You know, I've got it. Here's how you exegetically take this apart. Mm-hmm. But that leaves us with either saying, okay, this is a very uncomfortable thing. I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, I just believe the Bible. Yep. Or to try to come up with some type of sufficient answer that may go beyond the bounds of Scripture into the bounds of God's creation and a a uh, observation of the mm-hmm. way things function that might be able to lead us in a direction to have some type of answer. Yeah. So you, this takes us to your observation. This does. This yes. does. This does. Pause for a moment here and let me say this. Complementarianism, basically put, is this. It is the view that that it is the belief that God has created men and women with fundamental differences. And those fundamental differences drive the ideal roles that men and women play and how the church should educate and bring up and nurture men and women or the sexes in the church. Well, and the term itself then takes the next step further in saying that this is good because these complement each other. Exactly. And so it's not just saying, guys, you get to do the great stuff. Women, you need to do the, the uh, guys get varsity, women get JV, and uh, sorry, you know, I wish you could make it to varsity, but you can't. And, and that's not the what the view is saying at all. The view is saying that there are roles over here, and there are roles over here on the other side, and they complement each other. And I almost think like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah, you know, you yeah. can have peanut butter, and that tastes good. You can have jelly, and it yeah. tastes good. But when you put them together, it's like, this is good. Well, you, this you, is a good you, sandwich. You don't have a peanut butter and peanut butter sandwich. No, you know, yeah. You uh, I mean, well, yeah, you could probably have double peanut butter or whatever, <laughs> but but that's, uh, yeah, that God has created so that they complement each other. And and that you don't want to have just peanut butter. You don't want to have just jelly. You want to put them together. And you don't say peanut butter's a lot better. Jelly's not quite so good, but you know, yeah, they're, they're different. Well, and the great thing about between men and women is that both are made in the image of God. Yeah. And so you're looking at this this base level of saying that both of them have more in common with God than they do with jelly or with peanut butter yeah. or with yeah. with a potato or a monkey or a chimpanzee or whatever and so uh, so just inherently within every person there is uh, there's infinite worth uh, but then the step further that women are are viewed were created to be a helper uh, which we learn in Genesis as well, which, yeah. which uh, you know, the only other place in Scripture where where those terms are used speak of God being a helper. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. there's definitely 
women are in great company that are being made in the image of God and being a helper in the mm-hmm. same instance mm-hmm. as God is. But that's probably getting us down a little bit of a rabbit trail. No, it's not. It's a rabbit trail that we'll certainly take, and probably during this series, which it looks like it's going to turn into somewhat of a series, um, we'll talk about that because I think there's just so much here. One of the things, and I'm going to get back to the definitions in just a moment. And your observation, too. And my observation. (laughs) We're going to come all the way around here pretty soon. But one of the things that I've discovered about this is that this is, without a doubt, and I've been teaching theology for over 10 years now, for over a decade. My life has been devoted only to this. I mean, that's just been my uh, everything that I do, everything that I think about, everything that I read, keep up on, is in the theological realm. This is, without a doubt to me, Hands down, the most controversial issue in the church. Yeah. And what I mean by that is it's not so much that it is dividing the church more than any other. It's not that it's, uh, that it is the hot button all the time, but it is the one that brings up more emotion than any other issue. Yeah. To where people get on both sides, Mm -hmm. they can often get very, very irrational Mm -hmm. and play, Put the put the issue in such a way that it, it becomes something you just don't want to approach. Yeah, you know, you just want to stay away from. Uh, anytime you preach on it or teach on it, just very get very timid. And I'm trying not to be timid here. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. I I don't think my view. I don't think complementarianism needs to be timid at all yeah. when expressed rightly. Yeah. Okay, complementarianism. Okay. Yeah. That is what I just expressed, the view that God has created us uniquely and we want to idealistically put those people, sexes, in the roles that God has created us uniquely for. Yes. Um, Egalitarianism, that is kind of the other side. Mm -hmm. Egalitarianism is the view. Now listen to this. I'm going to try to put it as, as, as best I can without just saying it's the view that women should be head pastors because mm-hmm. you know, that's very easy to say. Mm-hmm. It is the view that God has created the sexes equally and their roles in society, in the church, in government, in whatever, are determined not by some preconditions that God has given to them, mm-hmm. but by the gifts uniquely that God has given to them and the gifts can be distributed to whoever. And so your role is determined not by, okay, here you are, you're a woman, get over here on the left side, you're a man, get over here on the right side. Here are all your options, men. Here are all your options, women, but it's by you individually, uniquely. If you have the gift of teaching, if you have the gift of leadership, then it doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, you go in that position. Mm-hmm. So egalitarianism, egalitarian means equal. So there's egalitarians in a lot of different fields, but whenever we talk about this particular issue, egalitarians say, hey, a woman can be a pastor, a head pastor, leader over men, if she's gifted to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's really, I mean... It's it's what we feel in many other areas too. I mean, you could definitely see why many people feel uh, strongly about egalitarian views yeah. because yeah. Uh, because it can seem, you know, if if I said sorry, you know, you can't do that because you're an Irish Catholic, Catholic, yeah. or sorry, you can't do that because you're Latino yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, that definitely we're bringing in racism, we're bringing in sexism, we're bringing in some socioeconomic stuff, and there's a whole bunch of things that we just cry. 
no, you know, haven't we come through yeah, these seasons yeah. of racism? Haven't we come through this? How can you now take a stand on these sexist views? And so, I mean, it definitely feels like it's most in step with what we what we hear in other areas outside of the church. Well, it certainly makes sense. It certainly yeah. seems to make more sense. Yeah. Um, whenever we try to compare it to to uh, our society as it stands today and yeah. what our and ideas so are. I'd probably say if we didn't have the Bible, we'd probably all be egalitarian. Yeah. Would you would you agree with that? Well, I, mean, I don't I mean, know. There's definitely well, that, other that's a things good question. And I think I think that is something that we ought to we ought to take and yeah. and ask many times throughout this session. If yeah. if we didn't have the Bible, would we be uh, egalitarian or complementarian? Or yeah, and the Bible plus the Spirit indwelling within mm-hmm. us. And different. I mean, mm-hmm. all the things mm-hmm. that 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 God gives to us. To I would I us. would probably say myself no, and I'll give you the reasons for that a little bit later. Yeah, but. You know, I, I certainly know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, in your observation that we're going to talk about too from your blog post w- would lead you towards complementarian as well outside, well, of, it would. outside of the Bible. And, and let's do get back to that illustration. Yeah. Um, I got up, went and checked to see who it was. Mm-hmm. I'm the man of the house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the way that I think about it. Yeah. If I ever saw a situation or heard a story, Saw a movie, whatever, you came and told me this story, and you told the same thing, but you said, you know what, I was too scared. <laughs> and and, and I, I didn't go, and I made my wife go. I would think, you know, that's kind of funny. Which I've never done that, by okay, the way. Okay, good, good. So. <laughs> I would say that's kind of funny, but it's wrong. Yeah. In my mind, that would be fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Okay? I wouldn't say it's necessarily a sin or something like that. I'd just say, you're a wimp. Mm-hmm. You know, you're. I would say, be a man. Yeah. Stand up and be protect your wife. Yeah. That is your protect your family. Yeah. That is your job. Yeah. And you may say they may say, well, it's is it because of my stature, my strength, that I'm bigger, that I'm stronger, that you know, that uh, all all of those things that are physical characteristics that mm-hmm. lead towards this. And I'd say that's some of it. Yes, mm-hmm. most certainly. And we certainly don't ever discount that with regards to these issues. Mm-hmm. But it's not all of it. There, there's going to be more that comes into play. Mm-hmm. Now, my argument was this. It was simply that men are better equipped to handle certain types of situations. Mm-hmm. In this case, I'm better equipped mentally and physically, emotionally uh, my bent would be better equipped than my wife's to be able to handle the confrontation that might await if there was somebody outside there and robbing our house or do something, doing something like that. Yeah. Generally speaking. Generally speaking, men, yeah. Like if your wife is a UCF fighter or something, th- that might be. Even a, even <laughs> if though, here's what I would say: even if my or wife was UFC, that, right? Yeah, Ultimate yeah. fighting. <laughs> Sorry. Even if my wife was that though, I wouldn't send her out. I would still yeah. say you're a wimp. I don't care if she's bigger than you, stronger than you, or anything. You are the man of the house. Yeah. Now, that's kind of my mentality. And I'm not saying my mentality determines, you know, the roles of across cultures and everything else. Yeah. However, my argument is that, generally speaking, this is the mentality not only that I have, but that it was going to be had across the board. I don't think anybody that I know of, at least living today or in just about any culture in the history of the world would see that men are going to be the ones that are protected by the women. 
You know, it's just, mm-hmm. that is kind of the role that has been always standardized. Yeah. There could be exceptions. I know that. Yeah. There, there's going to be wimpy men out there. I know that. Yeah. There's going to be men who don't know how to act like men. I know that. My illustration here was to say this. This was it. This was all I was trying to do was to give a personal illustration that maybe it is in certain circumstances uh, that men are better equipped for certain types of meetings, confrontations, encounters. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, give me that for a moment. I say, okay, well, why is that? Well, number one, because, again, I'm predisposed better than that. I don't want to go out there and fight a mm-hmm. robber. I don't want to necessarily, but I will. Mm-hmm. I'm more ready. But more than that, and just as important, if I go out there and the robber sees me, a male, he's going to be more threatened and more responsive and more likely to run away than if my wife comes out there. Mm-hmm. My wife goes out there alone, he might think other things, things that are worse. Yeah. You yeah. know, and changing his mind and doing it. He's not going to be so threatened. He's not going to respond the same way to my wife as he does to me. So you're saying just in the DNA of humans, and you see it in you, your wife saying, Michael, you need to be the one who goes. You being the one who's saying, yes, I need to be the one who goes. And then now you're even taking that step further and saying, and if there were a, a thief that was on the other side of that door, he would respond better to me. And all three of these are just are total uh, just in the DNA of who we are. I would say they're in the DNA. They're in the culture. They're in everything. And not just in our culture. You're not saying just in our culture, across well. the board. And yeah. the DNA gives forth to the culture. And the culture, I would say, is part of the way that God has created things as well. It's just mm-hmm. the system that has been set up. And we look at the system. We say, is it a godly part of the system or is it a bad part of the system? Yeah. Complementarians would say these types of things are, there's no sinfulness about them. Mm-hmm. Peter says, and we're going to have to stop on this broadcast Mm -hmm. and pick it back up next. Peter says that we are to treat women as the weaker vessels. And I'll bring up that verse in just a little bit or Mm -hmm. next period uh, or next broadcast. Mm -hmm. I'm still in school here. (laughs) Next broadcast and uh, talk about that a little bit. But does Peter discriminate? Is he stereotyping? Because that definitely, when you hear that, that, that definitely brings up questions of Peter. Why did you write that? Yeah. What are yeah. you saying? And well, Peter, wait a minute, Peter, Peter uh, of the disciples, we know Peter was married as well. Yeah. Uh, we don't know that about very many other ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, all I was doing at this first blog post was trying to bring up the illustration to be able to set up a, a kind of a theme that is going in the direction of men are better equipped for certain things. Mm-hmm. and certain types of confrontations. Mm-hmm. My post basically argued this, and we're done. My post basically argued this, that the pastorate, more often than not, from Paul's standpoint, and I would say it should be ours as well, but I'm, our culture's weak and our cult, church culture is somewhat weak, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Our, Paul believed that the pastor's role was to confront false teaching and false doctrine and people to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. And my argument is this, is that not that women are worse teachers or worse, not as smart, but men are better equipped and people better respond to men in those types of situations where we're reproving, rebuking, exhorting, mm-hmm. following a leader, following a commander of an army. We are in a battle. Mm-hmm. 
And I believe that men are better equipped to lead that battle. Mm. And that is part of what Paul is talking about here is that men are not as easily deceived. They are stronger in this area. Mm. And therefore they can, uh, in Paul's mind, be the only ones who can lead a church in that sense. Yeah. Let's keep talking about it. We will. Uh, folks, it's been great to have you, Tim. Thanks for uh, joining us here on this broadcast. It's uh, great to have you on staff. And Thanks. It's, it's good to be here. Glad to introduce you to everybody. Uh, we will talk to you all next week, hopefully next week, I think next week. I hope this recording came through well this week. We've tried to reset everything, but it looks like from what I hear, it, it's a little bit different. But listen, uh, contact us. Contact us at Theology Unplugged at reclaimingthemind.org Theology Unplugged at reclaimingthemind.org We want to hear from you. Send to us your questions. Send to us your comments about the show, what you think about the show. We love to hear from you. When we don't hear from people very often, we wonder, gosh, does anybody respond to the show? So we need to hear from you. Thank you guys. God bless you all. And we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. These broadcasts are made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For more information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit our homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.